this week's host, Eddie Webb, and with me are Dixie Cochran. Hello. Hi. And Hello, hi. And Matthew Dawkins. <laughs> hello there, live from the south of the United Kingdom. <laughs> we definitely need to re- get you to record something for Adventure. Yeah, you, 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 you've got to do something. That voice is too good. <laughs> it, it's fated now. We're here on the side of the road waiting for the arrival of Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, it's uh, Miss Eisenhower. Uh, we're waiting for Mrs. Eisenhower's grumpy pug face to perhaps <laughs> to, ha- to perhaps r- give us a rare smile and lift the hearts of those orphan children. <laughs> what orphan children? Well, I imagine the orphans are lining the road hoping to see Mrs. Eisenhower because she's probably Obviously. a... The animation, uh, uh, the cartoon of Mrs. Eisenhower out at this time is a, let's say, <laughs> exaggerated depiction of her jollity. When she actually arrives on the scene, she's more, oh, fuck off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking kids. <laughs> Talk for the shit. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of orphanists who are quite uh, disappointed. Oh, wow. Um, I just love how this continues to grow <laughs> and spread and change. This is like doing our own mythology. I love all of our running mythologies, our various, you know, Matthew's in the sea, we put Eddie in a box. <laughs> like... How, where, where do we put you, Dixie? Or Nowhere. I, I'm yeah, always here. You're free. She's free like some kind I am, of fairy. I am, e- I am ever present and eternal. Omnipresent. Om- om- yes, omniscient as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm. And omnivorous. Well, <laughs> good to retain a healthy, balanced diet. Yeah. Yeah. And she reads Omni Magazine. I, I don't even know what Omni Magazine is, so I cannot confirm oh God, or deny right. that. That might be that might be before you guys' time. Uh, Omni Magazine was a science magazine um, in the 80s, I want to say. Um, I remember reading it as a kid. Uh, speaking of, of, of... It was published until 1995. Okay, so it, was, it, it, so it did last long. I, I thought it lasted like at least past that, but I didn't know how long it went. Well, and bosses yeah. used to be known as the Omni Boss. That's true. That's true. So, but an omnibus is a collection of comic books. It is also a collection of comic books. <laughs> so you could be reading an omnibus on the omnibus. My mind has been blown. I'm done. I'm out of here. While while eating pork scratchings and a potato. What? That's your omnibus. On the bus? Side. Yeah. <laughs> oh, omnibus. Omnibus. Yes. It, it, anyway, um, so. <laughs> Uh, wow, I can't even possibly segue away from that. I, I, I don't know how to do that. Um, so how how have you guys been doing? Um, I know we uh, <laughs> it, it's been it's been a weird couple of weeks because we had vacation and then we even though we had an episode after that we didn't record and then we kind of jumped right into uh, a recording with Travis. So uh, how, how have you folks been? How, how have you been, Matthew? I've been okay, Eddie. I've reached a uh, a certain state of zen when it comes to elements in my life that I'm sure will blow up again at some point. But for now, I'm Placido Domingo and generally happy. Coasting along, writing outlines for new books, which is always very exciting. Um, Taking a breath of fresh air away from the world of darkness right now. And right now, Mm -hmm. also picturing that Mrs. Eisenhower would probably love a roast potato with pork scratchings. I can only imagine... (laughs) How much a pug would salivate? Uh, you know, you, you would you would be cleaning up the drool for hours. Oh God! 
uh, uh, both of our posts would love French fries. Like just, just up, like get in your face. <laughs> I'm going to take this from you. Love French fries. Um, when we, when we took them to the vet, usually it would be the, they would love going to the vet because usually after the vet, we would swing by McDonald's every and get them like a French fry from like McDonald's or, or, or fast food or whatever. Mm. And they were like, okay, cool. I did, I did the vet thing. French fry now, please. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I react when I go to the doctor. I'm like, I went to the doctor, please to give me a French fry. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, Do you ask the doctor? <laughs> no, just, you know, whoever else is in the car. Sometimes I just ask the like drive through person. I just like go in the go in the drive through and I'm like, please to give me un French fry. Picked <laughs> <laughs> by one fry, please. Un fry français. <laughs> also, did you say Placido Domingo a second ago? Yes. As in Placido. Yes, I know, but I was trying to say that I was placid and then I just decided to change it up a bit. It's a bit like oh, okay. Sandstorm by Derude. <laughs> No one's going to get that. Which is a joke that no one's going to get because it happened before we started recording. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, Dixie, how have you been? Oh, uh, you know, I've been okay. Hanging out. Uh, recording some interviews with some folks soon to go up on a virtual con thing. That's going to be fun. Oh. Uh, watching the Demigod Kickstarter keep going. That's mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Playing playing V5 with my home group, which has been really cool. Oh, nice. Let me, uh, guess. Let me guess what you're playing. Can I guess what you're playing? Yes. Is it a Lissambra? It is a Lissambra. <laughs> wow. But it's the first Lissambra I've played in V5. True. Because I've only ever done one shot, so like up until now. And all my one shots, the Lissambra pregen and one of them just wasn't a character I wanted to play mm. personally. They were like a, a, a clergy person. Mm. Um. And then the other one didn't have a Lissambra pregen because it was based on the pre-Lissambra material in Chicago by Night. Right. Um, so I played a Toreador a couple of times, um, and I played a Nos once um, in my other like V5 one shots. And so getting to like play my first Lissambra in a long form campaign is really cool. Um, nice. And so now I'm 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 dangerously close to the you know you're gonna charge me money for telling you about my character, so I'm not gonna go there, <laughs> but. <laughs> But I love her, and she is amazing, and I'm having a lot of fun. I, I would never charge you money to listen about your character, Dixie. Uh, I mean, I might ask for a, a favor in trade, but I would never actually charge you money. <laughs> well, her name's Evie Winterborn, and she's cool. Excellent. Oh, I've got another thing I've been up to. What's I've, that? Uh, myself and uh, Clara Herbal, a frequent freelancer, have been um, leisurely writing Goodfellas the Musical. What? Well, we're both big fans of the movie Goodfellas by Martin Scorsese. And, uh-huh. uh, As opposed to the other Goodfellas. Yeah, by, the pizza, you know. You know. Um, <laughs> Mel Brooks. <laughs> I, I think Mel, Mel... I don't think Mel Brooks did... Uh, what was it? Oh, National Lampoon's Mafia, I think, does actually exist. Either really? way, yeah. Uh, wow. It's more a pastiche on The Godfather, I think. Sure. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I we've been trying to turn it around on its head. It's gone a bit operatic. I, in fact, I'd say it's more like an Android Webber musical. So your mileage may vary. Um, <laughs> but we've got such hits as um, Funny Guy, of course. Funny Guy is the Joe Pesci headliner um, with uh, Funny. He thinks I'm funny. What does he think is so fucking funny about me? 
<laughs> and we've got um, shine box. Go grab your shine box. Hey Tommy, I'm just busting your balls. Hey Tommy, don't you lose your cool. A shine box. And yeah, is it going to be a sung through musical or, or is no, there dialogue? No, see, it's going to have those very Lloyd Webber moments where. Uh, Joe Pesci will, let's say, rattle off. You think I'm funny? I'm some kind of clown. I'm here to fucking amuse you. And it will build up and build up and build up. And then you'll have Ray Liotta say, I just think you're a funny guy. <laughs> and then it will. the lights will dim around everyone but Joe Pesci, who will look to the crowd and he'll go back to the initial verse of funny. He thinks I'm funny. So you'll have, you know... So it is going to be sung through, like, Phantom. Like, Phantom is sung through with occasional Yes, lines. yes, exactly. It'll is be it... m- more like Phantom, probably... Yeah, Phantom, Jesus Christ Superstar. So, yeah, Tim Ricey uh, and Andrew Lloyd Webbery. Jesus Christ Superstar is completely sung through. There's no dialogue. Ooh, is that so? Uh-huh. Mm. Uh, yeah, they're, like... There's a, I, I, I think sung, sung through musicals are cool. It's like a thing yeah. that I like for some reason. Um, partially because I think it's cool that if you have memorized all the songs, you've actually memorized an entire play. Yes, that's true. Mm. Which is just interesting to me. Like, I have memorized Rent, you know? And I have memorized uh, Limas because I know all the songs. Well, actually, that's, and Hamilton. that's a curious question. Uh, we're, we're nowhere near a topic, but fuck it. Um, <laughs> I don't care. You, you, you have some drama background. Do you actually find it easier to memorize than musicals like that versus memorizing plays? Oh, God, yes. Really? M- music is so much easier to memorize. Huh. I mean, think about songs. Like, how many songs do you think you know all the words to, or at least most of the words to, just because you've heard them? So you're asking the person with hearing loss how many words he remembers. You, you know songs <laughs> on some level. No, I know what you mean, though. Yes, I do know what you like, mean. Like, my, my, my dad asked me this once. It's actually super interesting. It's like, he asked me, like, how many songs do you think you, you, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he was like, now make sure you include, like, jingles and TV theme songs. Oh, okay. And happy birthday and, you know, Christmas songs. Mm. And you realize that you know probably thousands of songs. Maybe not all the way through, but, like, well enough that you could sing them at karaoke, right? Sure. Okay. Like most most people know hundreds to thousands of songs if if you can hear, mm-hmm. obviously as a as a, as a caveat, um, and so if you like me when I was a kid in theater, if you like listen to a musical, you know I can go listen to the Hamilton soundtrack for instance, right. and if I listen to it enough, I'm just going to pick up most of the words. Um, same with Les Mis. And music is much, much easier to memorize for people typically than just straight prose. I have a much harder time memorizing, say, a poem than I do a song. Um, And poems are easier than just dialogue. Right. Uh, Because poems, at least, you have a hint as to what the next line is, usually, Mm -hmm. because of rhyming structure. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, I found it easier when I was doing theater to do Shakespeare, than to do a modern play that's just right. straight dialogue because Shakespeare has a rhythm to it. Yep. And if once once you learn that rhythm, if you can remember one line, you can probably remember the next one. Yeah. <laughs> right, because it's the, okay, uh, uh, it, yeah, okay, I know, I know the next line something like, da-da. So, and that mm-hmm. immediately shrinks the amount of options in your head and then pretty soon that trips you and connects you to, oh, okay, it's supposed to be blah. Yeah, like, I mean, I... 
I can still sit here and, you know, go to two households, both alike in dignity and fair Verona, where we lay our scene from ancient blood. To, you know, it's, it's, it's not <laughs> like it is its own thing right. that you can memorize easier than I, I forgot a line on stage exactly once. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, well, I never forget the feeling because I was mortified. Um, and it was a musical we were doing where I had a bit that was just straight dialogue. I was supposed to be questioning the bad guy. It was like the climactic. We had given him a truth serum. Mm-hmm. And so he had a bit where he would say the thing. And then I would say like, and then he and so you. And I just forgot one. <laughs> I like. He said his line and I stood there and I had my finger in his face and I stared at him. Mm-hmm. And then the lead actress came to my rescue and I said, thank you. I'm getting on in years because I was playing an old lady mm. <laughs> and kept going. But like it was a long enough pause that the audience clearly knew mm, right. I had forgotten my line. Right. And I was just like, Jesus Christ. Like I have never been so mortified in front of that many people. <laughs> I, I, I forgot a, a line in, well, I've, I've done it more than once because I used, I studied drama and theater studies when I was at college. And oh. uh, I think most, most people do at some point. And mm-hmm. the wonderful thing is, if it's a... Well, most people forget lines, I mean. Not most people study drama. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. And there's... um, It's like when you've got an audience, especially if it's near an opening night or reviews night, you've got almost like a... Uh, you've formed a conspiracy with the audience. They kind of invested in the production and you invest in their participation. Mm -hmm. And so if you fuck up on stage, it's pretty uncommon again, at that early stage of a production anyway, for the audience to hold it against the performer. Right. Usually they'll be, they will give you a round of applause. You you might walk off, get a line and come back on, or of course be fed a line. Something's better to walk off. It depends on where you are in a scene. And uh, and how long your line is if you've got a soliloquy or something like that, and the audience will generally get behind you a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I had a fairly lengthy piece to read once in a play called Art, and I got to a point during this um, soliloquy where I just couldn't remember what ha- what came next, and mm-hmm. so I paused. And there were people in the audience who had obviously seen the play before. They knew this wasn't how it was supposed to go. And so I gave the audience a sort of nod and walked off and came back on. They knew what was going on. As I came back on, they gave me an applause. I tried it again after finding out what the line was. And of course, I was bricking it, as they say, by this point. Sure. Uh, and I got went through it again. And fell down again. Oh no! It had exited my mind oh, again. Oh no! And the yeah, the, obviously you've got the feeling of terror that comes yeah. with that, the anticipation from the audience. But the second time, the round of applause was even louder. They were even more behind me. It was mm. you know that they, they were <laughs> they were trying to will me to remember the line. And so the um, come third time, I got it right. Everyone was very happy. And it almost felt by the end of it that the audience had had a better time because they had had that audience <laughs> participation right. than if they had sat there as a passive uh, viewer. But I had a feeling that if I had failed a third time... They might not have been as sympathetic? Oh, no, no. I think that would have been it. 
there was a definite chill. After that, um, that round of applause had stopped, you knew, or I knew, okay, they're not going to tolerate this anymore. And so I decided if I screw it up again, we just move on to the next scene. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. Um, but yeah, it's one of the... Uh, obviously, in one respect, it's one of the most terrifying things one can do. Sure. Uh, forgetting a line or doing something wrong in a performance in front of a live audience. But it's also incredibly thrilling uh, when you get it right. And uh, and to have that many people supporting you when you screw up, picking you up again. It's uh, a feeling unlike any other that I've found. Yeah. That does segue into the topic, doesn't it, Eddie? Yeah. I was going to say, it's like going, that actually is... On the topic, because um, one of the things we want to talk about today is our stumbles and misses and mistakes. Um, because, like you guys have both pointed out, is any kind of art form, um, there, there's going to be things you mess up on. Um, for static forms like writing or painting or whatever, uh, uh, usually it's during the process and then the end result is, is more polished, ideally. Um, but sometimes mistakes still get through. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that there are always going to be learning opportunities to be able to find, oh, hey, you know, I tried this, it didn't work, let's try something else. Or I just completely bricked that, like you're saying, and, and that didn't work out well at all. Uh, and we, 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 I've been pitching this off and on for, for quite a while now, actually. And one of the reasons why I think it's worth digging into this is because we have all made mistakes. And we've also seen people make mistakes. Um, and... This actually is fantastic. You guys talked about this because th both of your examples show that the act of making a mistake is not itself terrible. Um, it's how you recover from that mistake that really, really shows. Um, so I think that the first thing has any of us had a moment where we've made a mistake, but we've recovered and been like, okay, cool. That wasn't so bad. As far as in our like RPG stuff, because I do have one, I think. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. So when I was editing the Chronicles of Darkness core, mm. um, which was pretty early in my career. Like that was, you know, back in 2015, I think, or maybe 2016, but it was still like one of the, it, it was the first core book I had edited. Mm -hmm. um, Rose had communicated to me that um, we were using singular they pronouns mm -hmm. with, and I misunderstood that, that all the pronouns should be singular they. Oh, no. <laughs> and so I started, I, I was changing them. <laughs> like every single pronoun to singular they, mm -hmm. um, which is not what we do. We do a mix of all pronouns. Right. So yeah, he, she, they, zier, you know, any of them. Mm -hmm. But like I, I was going through it anytime there was a he or she. And I, I, I came to Rose after like chapter three or so. And keep in mind, this, this is also the book where I was having to change all instances of World of Darkness to Chronicles of Darkness. Oh, right. Because <laughs> the book had gotten to editing before that decision was made. Mm -hmm. Um and so I, I was doing that. I went to Rose and I'm like, I'm like, some of these paragraphs don't make sense with the singular they because it would be too many people talking. Right. And it, it was muddying the language of like yeah. powers. Mm -hmm. And Rose was like, no, don't, don't do that. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Because uh, I didn't realize that the rule before was that we just switched between he and she right. because mm -hmm. I was so new to the company. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was just something that I didn't know and messed up, but it got fixed before it went back to Rose. So that was like a funny little mistake that I just, misunderstandings happen. Like I, it's, I think one of the most common 
things that 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 happens when we find those those issues it's not so much that you made a mistake all the time sometimes it's just a miscommunication like you understood something that was not what the person intended right. <laughs> yeah what about you Eddie? do you have any final ones um uh, well <laughs> quite a lot so uh, i try to think of an example where where I, I feel like i reacted well um and i think one a relatively recent example actually uh is um uh, for anima uh, uh, without going too much into detail on it, um, we have talked about the fact that Anima is kind of a new Trinity Continuum product. Uh, and uh, it's also both this kind of cyberpunk world and this MMO world. So it's the first time we've really kind of are blending two genres together. And also uh, we had uh, purchased the idea from uh, someone else. Uh, so there was a lot to work with there. Um, and there was also a lot of uh, internal discussion about where one to go with it, what one to do with it. At one point in time, it was going to be after Aeon. Ultimately, we decided to put it between uh, Aberrant and Aeon. Um, so there's a lot of kind of shifting gears. And so I sat down to wrote the outline. I was trying to kind of remember all of, keep all these balls in the air as we're juggling analogy. I was trying to make sure everything was, was working right. And so I went through a couple of revisions and finally went to the writers and talked through the writers and you know, they were all fine and we all kind of got it. And I was like, great. I, I feel like we have a good solid understanding of what this needs to be. Um, and then uh, I started finding out that at one point in the outline, I had said, I need you to expel out what this world needs to look like in chapter two, I think it was. And then another part of the outline, I said, we need to spell out what this world looks like in chapter 10. And so both of the writers very oh, like no. process discovered we're writing the same stuff. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I got it wrong. And looked at the outline. And it's like, no, it was completely on me. It's like, it, I knew what I meant in my head because we've gone through so many versions of discussing this outline. That I was like, oh, we all understand. But I never actually communicated to the writer's state. Just looked at the page and said, oh, this is what you want. And started writing basically the same material from two different perspectives. And so I had to go, oh, great. No, no, no. Ignore that part. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Um and, you know, it happens. Uh, uh, and, and the writer's like, okay, cool, great. And, and they went off and, and changed direction. Yeah, there was like a moment where one of the writers was like, this person's stepping on my section. And we're like, what? Why would he do that? Right. You know, or, or they. Right. I, I, don't, I don't remember who it was. Right. But like, wh why, why would they do that? And it was just like a weird thing where it was like, it was it was so confusing, and I actually never heard that that resolution to it. Oh, yeah. So that's actually, that's, that's interesting that it turned out to just be a, a thing that, Got that got missed in the outline and, and missed by everybody yeah, is yeah. the thing. Like we all read the outline and no one noticed that it said the same thing in both sections. Right. Matthew, how about you? How about one where you kind of were able to kind of gracefully redirect? Yeah, gracefully. Well, for, before I go into that, I do love, Eddie, when you uh, your your developer voice is very 1920s newsman. Uh, when you say, <laughs> no, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, fist comes down on the desk, chooses cigar. I don't care what you write. Just get me pictures <laughs> of Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the art. No one reads the words. These are the 1920s, damn it. Um, oh, he, oh, you've just turned into Attitude Era Vince McMahon. Uh, from <laughs> oh god no i thought you liked me uh, uh, <laughs> so yeah so i've uh, mistakes i've made a few um <laughs> uh, but uh, no i'm not gonna go the whole whole hog there um Aww. but then again 
so yeah, uh, I've uh, I've made similar mistakes. In fact, in development, it's uh, very easy to just to excuse myself to lose track of these things, especially in the uh, in outline stage. And in fact, I'll share this with share the blame for this one with Dixie a bit. Um, hey. This one was on <laughs> Mummy the Curse. Okay, yeah, this one's actually really funny. <laughs> I will take the blame on this. We came up with this fantastic idea for Mummy the Curse 2nd Edition, all about what is boiled down to time-travelling immortals. Let, let's call it what it is. Or let's let's call it what it is at its simplest. Right. And it, it allows you to play in different eras. And it was, to me, the thing that would make Mummy appeal to a broader audience than this 1st Edition managed mm-hmm. to reach. I thought this is uh, also an excellent way of tying into Dark Eras and the upcoming Dark Eras too. So all in all, this was a wonderful idea. Uh, Dixie and I kind of toasted it and said, right, now let's outline this book and get writers working on it. And we hired writers. They wrote their first drafts. I would say 99% of those drafts were really good, in fact. It's one yeah. of the cleanest first drafts through to final draft stages I have ever developed. Nice. And yet there was something I noticed as I was reading through the first draft, doing my red lines. <laughs> and it was we had about three mentions in there of the timeless aspect of Mummy the Curse, because this was the timeless chronicle, where other things, we got the Strix Chronicle, the Idagam Chronicle, mm-hmm. so this was the timeless chronicle. Right. And there was, yeah, three mentions of mummies operating in different eras. We hadn't added it to the outline. We hadn't <laughs> instructed... We haven't instructed anybody to write about this crucial element in the yeah. game that made it at all distinct. And so while all the drafts were of high quality, none of them actually hit the core note of the game. Yeah. Wow. And I, I didn't really see it as a choice at that point. I didn't think, okay, do we dispense with this? Because I felt it was integral to second edition that it was in there. Also, we had talked about it like on the podcast and interviews and in yeah. panels. Like, oh, that's, yeah. Like, that like, was our selling point for Mummy 2E. was like, oh, and it's out of time. So you might wake up once mm. in, you know, 2005 and then wake up again in 1540. Like, you can go backwards. It's interesting, you know, and it's like, we just forgot to tell anybody to write that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I spoke to Rich, and to be to be to be fair, Rich was to be at fair. All, to be fair. Uh, to be fair. Rich wasn't at all upset. It seemed. I think he was more mildly amused. Yeah. If he kept, if he was raging, <laughs> he kept it within himself uh, on that occasion. So thank you, Rich. Um, but yeah, uh, I said, could we have another ooh, ten thousand words? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to scatter throughout this book. And he said, is there anything you can cut? And I said, I can shave down some places. And he said, well, let's do that. So, uh, yeah, come the final draft, we hired, we rehired a writer who had, due to other commitments, had to drop off at first draft Mm -hmm. stage uh, to come back for finals and then start peppering uh, the timeless aspect, the big sort of central part in, I think, chapter two. And then sort of scatter it around throughout the rest of the book and then come development i started adding more and more of it so that it became slightly clearer uh, but yeah come the pro- product that's currently in editing it's um i don't think you can really tell 
But at the time when I was doing the red lines, I was just thinking, oh, shit. Okay. Uh, (laughs) This was a rather big fuck up. And luckily we recovered from it pretty easily because we have a very understanding boss. Yeah, but still, it would be like if Eddie did Pugmire and forgot to put any mention of man in there. You know? (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, that's part of the selling point. (laughs) Here's Pugmire, again about dogs. Oh shit, I forgot to mention dogs. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't quite that that bad. bad. There were mummies. There were mummies and mummy. (laughs) Oh shit, we wrote mummy too. We never once mentioned mummies. It's all about the cultists. Oh well, um, we've had people some people we love you fans we've had some fans uh <laughs> criticize that there's too much in here about immortals cultists and so on and not enough about the mummies so you know uh, maybe that criticism could be leveled at us but uh, to them i say oh well <laughs> well I mean, and that, that leads to kind of another uh point is that um there's difference between mistakes and disagreements oh yeah like is one thing to when I'm talking about mistakes and errors here, I'm really talking about things that anyone objectively looking at the project could go, okay, yeah, that shouldn't be like that. that that's really kind of the category I'm looking at here. Um, and I have more stories about that in a moment, but um, is valid to bring up that there are times where there's just certain creative directions that we want to go in that other people might disagree with. Them. And, and sometimes it gets framed in discussions as like, well, they screwed up. There's, this is a mistake. The writers, made a mistake or, or they didn't do their research or mm. whatever. Um, and that's not what's happening. What's happening is like, no, actually we intended it to go that way. Maybe not to the degree that you're reading it as. Maybe there's a, a some tweaks we can do in terms of massaging the direction it's supposed to go in, what have you, or to make that more, more uh, less, less opaque to the reader that, okay, this is what is going on. But that's not a mistake. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, for example, I have... Uh, uh, seen things like you know, oh, uh, Scion gets us a lot uh, to a certain degree. It's mm-hmm. like, um, um, you know, well, this mythological thing isn't quite accurate. And sometimes we have to make changes to make things that are more just a more interesting game. Um, and so being able to say, okay, well, as a game, it makes more sense if, if these factions are a little more kind of in conflict than perhaps what historically might be or mythologically might be accurate, um, because everyone kind of getting along doesn't always make for a fun game. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes we change things to be more inclusive. Um, so it's like, okay, yeah, sure. But, you know, a lot of this stuff was written probably by dudes. So maybe we should find more ways to get people who are not men. We also took a lot of, like, you know, sexual assault out of the myths. Right. <laughs> because we don't need to put that in our books. We don't need that. Right. But if you read any myths about, like, Zeus or a lot of the other, you know, various oh, yeah. gods scattered around, it's just full of really gross stuff that we're like, eh, don't need that. Right. Eat this thing and become pregnant. Uh, okay, maybe not. Yeah. yeah, which actually, I mean, that's 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 an example where a writer put something in Zion that mm-hmm. is mythologically accurate. Mm-hmm. And we realized after it kind of went out there that for our purposes, if we want to keep it in, we should just make it very clear that it's a consensual thing. Right. Like, yeah. you can eat this and it'll make you pregnant if you would like to be pregnant is not problematic so much as you can trick people into getting pregnant because that's disgusting. Right. Um, and so sometimes people just don't see it that way like i would have seen that line and been like no but if if a man sees that line they might not bump up against it right. and that's why we have errata phases that's why we have previews that's why we have feedback forms that's why we have internal discussions that's why we have editors like mm-hmm. that's why there's a multi-stage proofing process like it's so that all these things can get caught and sometimes we don't catch them and then somebody else from a different community does and then we fix it 
And I mean, sometimes uh, mistakes are things that kind of come up in examination. Um, uh, 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 here's a, a good example. Um, early on, I, I, I want to say it was uh, the uh, PAN's guide that we, this happens. Uh-huh. Um, where, uh, Matthew, correct if I'm wrong on this, but um, I was doing a review of the material and I noticed that a lot of the language around rats um, was like, okay, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on long noses and they're greedy and, um, you know, the campaigns to have them, you know, kicked out of society. And I was just like, I'm putting these together and, and I'm getting a picture of anti-Semitism that, that's definitely not what I want. Um, but I don't think anyone intended that. Well, I mean, the the point is that sometimes one mention of something doesn't come across weird. But once you put it all together, right. you're like, oh, yeah. this is not yeah. good. No, no. Eddie's, uh, Eddie's recollection is correct. We quite inadvertently ended up describing rats and mice in a way that uh, undoubtedly they have been depicted as in, uh, in animation. And in other sure. fiction, yeah. Um, but due also to some of the, let's say, occupations they were taking the uh, right. roles in and things like that, there was a definite confluence, uh, which I'm sure, again, was inadvertent. Absolutely, was yeah. of uh, that led to uh, that could what could have been an anti-Semitic read. I know that sounds like I'm sort of hedging around it a lot, but I'm very keen to emphasize that I don't believe the writers on that book are anti-Semitic. No, no, no. And I, I bring it up because um, uh, it, it was completely inadvertence. I mean, I, I, I had no yeah. belief that anyone did intentionally. What happened was I was and starting like, to rats, read... Rats do have long noses. Right. Like, yeah. Hmm. It, it's the... <laughs> Look at a rat. They were describing rats and rats were antagonists in this story. And so it's a natural way to present them. And also we had previously established that rats were kind of in flag of and organized crime groups. Um, and so this, this prop, this in world propaganda campaign kind of was organized. And if we were doing it intentionally to kind of show that, Hey, there are some assholes in this world and they do horrible things. that would be one thing, but the fact that it was completely inadvertent actually was the error. Yeah. Now right. I, I will say on that same book, and I'm very proud of the way pans guy ended up. I do. I will Agreed. say, uh, it didn't have the, the easiest development period. It was one of my first development projects. In mm -hmm. fact, our solo development projects. And while Eddie, uh, gave me, of course, a lot of assistance. Uh, it was um, an interesting one to manage. One mistake that was made that really I should have spotted early on was the role of, uh, I guess, non-male animals in, in the game. Uh, it had an awful lot of characters who were set dressing out or seductive. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is, uh, and they were all, um, this is, um, lady cat, you know, this right. is lady yeah. rats, this is what have you. Uh, and it was misogynistic in the same way that an awful lot of, the uh, older Dungeons and Dragons material has been, uh, in the way it depicts women. Uh, it's, uh, and fell into the same traps that... Mm -hmm. A lot of the time in Vampire the Masquerade, Torridor fall into. Mm -hmm. uh, right. Most specifically, I get almost always Torridor and La Sombra, sometimes Setites, fall into. Where if you're a woman and you're in your, that clan, you are basically going around um, wearing barely anything. You're there to just be a seductress. Right. And that is your role because you're the stereotype for that clan. Right. 
And this, um, obviously, we caught it in development. We changed yep. it, and and I'm glad we did. The book, as I say, turned out very nicely. But it is an easy trope to fall into, especially when you've got new writers mm-hmm. who aren't mm-hmm. used to looking out for that kind of thing. And in my case, a new developer who wasn't used to looking out for that thing. That was the first book, really, where... Uh, Eddie and I had the discussion about, okay, so these are some of the things we need to look out for, and when we did, when we finally did, we noticed these issues and we corrected them. Right. Uh, but yeah. unless you have someone to tell you that sometimes, you may not be fully conversant in how best to present a any world, whether it's fantasy, contemporary, or, or horror. Right, and, and, and I bring it up not necessarily to... to, to outline, oh my god, these are the mistakes that Matthew made. More the fact that something that we didn't talk about ahead of time, um, mm. and it was something that I should have communicated better just where I want this world to go. But um, I just didn't realize it would be a concern until I started seeing it. It's like, oh, oh, this is this is something we need to change. And, and like Matthew said, yeah. um, it got resolved, and Pans is fantastic and great now because we were able to see that mistake and pivot, and none of the writers uh, uh, took it badly from what I understand. In fact, a lot of them like, oh my gosh, no, geez, whoa, thank you for catching that. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but it kind of leads to, I wanted to position that as here's something we caught and everyone had good communication and we changed it and the product was stronger uh, because I'm going to lead to an example I'm going to call myself on, on where I did not do that very early on in my career um, and the product absolutely explicitly suffered for it. Um, and normally I've been trying to avoid naming names, but in this case, I'll absolutely name names because the product is out of print and I don't think you even find it anymore except for used bookstores. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the Forever Nights tabletop role-playing game. Um, it was a licensed game based on a comic book, Forever Nights. And if you're going, what the hell is that? You're correct. It was only four issues of a comic published by Epic. Um, but basically it was a cyberpunky world where um, everyone has power armor and you're playing a group of mercenaries with power armor that go off and do mercenary power armor thing. Um, and so like, this looks like a fun <laughs> tabletop role-playing game to make. Um, the people we worked with uh, had never made a tabletop role-playing game before. Um, the relationship was extremely uh, contentious in terms of how we communicated. Uh, and as a result, I was so focused on trying to either prove to be prove, prove my points correct or to just change the bare minimum to adapt to what they suggested um, that I kind of missed in this game where your primarily goal is to make suits of power armor that accentuate your strength to detail what the strength of these power armor suits is. Like just, <laughs> there's a table completely missing from the book about here's how your stats change when you put these on. It's just not there because I was so wound up in trying to not be wrong. I was so wound up in, I didn't make a mistake that I ended up making a really big mistake that went completely through to the final thing. And this was in 2002 or three. So we couldn't just put a new PDF up and say, cool, here it is. That book was printed and out there. And we had to do like an actual errata form with like, oh, here's, here's the, here's the chart. Whoops. But you know, no one bought the game, so it's fine. Um, But I mean, you, if you're so focused on worrying about, why you made the mistake or how the mistake got there, you will end up making more actually. It, it, it could be tempting to either be defensive and be like, no, no, I didn't make a mistake or to just get so wound up in, oh my God, I'm terrible because I allowed this to get through. You could, you could lose the, the middle ground of fix it and learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's think about other 
common mistakes we've seen, again, not necessarily calling them out, but just common mistakes we've seen that we can help people to kind of anticipate and avoid uh, in future. Can I point out a very tiny one that's just pissing sure. me off constantly? Because I've seen it like not not just in our rating, but like all over sure. the internet. The past tense of the word lead is lead, mm-hmm. L-E-D. Yes. There is no yes. A in it. <laughs> no, that- and I have seen... It typed lead with an A, which is a word. That's 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 the the, the metal element, lead. Yes. <laughs> it's a it's it's a different right. word, mm. and I have seen it across game lines, but also like on Twitter, on Facebook, on in discords, and it's making me angry <laughs> because spell check right. won't catch it, and that means sometimes like I will catch it usually, but we make it. You know, editors also make mistakes. And sometimes gloss over something that they should have caught. And I have definitely like seen it, not too much in our books, but I have seen it in printed books. Um, that's that's the mistake that I get the most hung up on, though. Just as a, as a quick aside, is that when I see a book I edited that has uh-huh. an error in it, and I catch yeah. the error, I'm always like, God oh, yeah, totally. damn it. Like, <laughs> and usually it's a very small typo or something, but... It, it, and also, sometimes it's something that got introduced after mm-hmm. I edited it, which I don't get as annoyed about. Right. Um, like the, the the developer added right. a paragraph after the book was edited, and it has a, a typo in it. I'm like, okay, well, I didn't even see that. But sometimes it is something that I know for a fact I saw, and I'm like, oh. So actually, yeah, on that specific error, um, I can almost see where that logic comes from, though, is because read and read does work that way. Yeah, no, I totally get why right. it would happen. It's, it's just, just not, not right. correct. Yeah, no, I totally Because <laughs> English is dumb. <laughs> So, so I've got a couple, sure. actually. Uh, one is a company level, one is very much a personal uh, level. And the one at the company level is something that uh, both we at Onyx Path and uh, White Wolf Paradox, and in fact White Wolf Evolved, have done. And it's something that fucks me right up. <laughs> and it's um, the... Changing in preference when it comes to capitalization of in-game terms. Yes. Um, sorry, sorry, I should specify. An in-game term that is a trait, i.e. I have this many points in status, I have this, ma- oh, this many dots even, this many dots in this background. If I'm referring to that, yes, that should be capitalized because it's an in-game, uh, out-of-character mm-hmm. term. Uh, I'm sure there's a better way of explaining that. A character sheet term, if you like. Right. Um, but we also have princes, barons, Methuselahs, antediluvians, uh, oh the sects, the clans, and so on. And from addition to addition, these are capitalized. They're not capitalized. They're capitalized. They're not capitalized. Prince yep. is my particularly big bugbear because, yes, when referring to a vampire prince that is different to a mortal prince. Uh And so if I was to say that um, this city had a prince long ago, uh, but the prince went away, uh, then in real terms, that prince should not be capitalized uh, because it had a prince. Right. Fair enough. Uh, But if I was saying... um, Prince Eddie was the held praxis over this domain. Yes, of course, that should be capitalized because it's part of Eddie's title. Yep. Now, in Vampire, it, it would be true that it would be Prince Eddie with a capital P. And if I said Eddie, Prince of uh, Chicago or Atlanta, why not? Uh, you poor bastard. Then <laughs> that would also be a capital P. But if I said um, 
Eddie was the prince of Atlanta, or there was a prince in Atlanta a long time ago. In Vampire, prince still needs to be capitalized in some editions. Right. Now, I... And it isn't just the word prince that we get this mm -hmm. with a lot of words that have been reused or introduced into Vampire the Masquerade. And because of the sheer amount of words in the lexicon, that are specifically vampire, uh, they... That there is very little consistency. It does sometimes feel quite arbitrary which ones are chosen to be capitalized in a given edition. I'm sure there is a reason at the time, but it doesn't follow, yep. you know, through to the successive books. And so, for instance, on a very recent book, I try to apply logic to my capitalization. <laughs> right, there's a mistake. And hey, same. And uh, sadly, the uh, the response I got back, uh, no fault of yours, Paradox. I'm sure you're all listening there at Paradox Interactive, <laughs> um, but no, no fault of theirs. They have a lexicon in mind, and they said, no, we want this term capitalized. We want this term capitalized. We want this term replaced in all future products. Um, how did this become a term, and that sort of thing? Right. Right. And so in my post-approval development, I've got to go through changing everything. Um, now, part of that's on me, because I decided I'm going to make the call. I'll be the one to decide whether Prince gets capitalized or not. But part of it is also because people can be bloody-minded <laughs> um, and not bow down to logic, even when logic is what makes sense. So before you move on to the second so, point, um, I, I do want to talk about that a little bit because that's actually a funny story. Um, uh, I could talk about at least one instance where that was intentionally changed. Um, when Rose and I were working together, uh, Rose at the time was the line developer for Requiem, and I was working with Justin, and then also became line developer for V20, Fast Grade. And it's lowercase in Requiem, but it is capitalized in V20. And we had yep. a long discussion about this because Rose and I are nerds. <laughs> but um, it ultimately came down to, um, in Requiem, she wanted more naturalistic language because it's supposed to be kind of street level and now it's very much kind of set in a, in yeah. a persistent now and that the history doesn't matter as much. Uh, whereas with me, I want that kind of Victorian Germanic style of language because masquerade language is what I tend to call mm -hmm. ornate. It looks a little more ostentatious than it needs to be because that's the feel of masquerade. So we spent like an hour talking about the aesthetics of each of these game lines in relation to capitalizing one fucking word. <laughs> <laughs> and see, it's, it's, it's funny because then when I come in, I hate what looks like right. overcapitalization. Yes. Like if there's a term that's just a normal word and it, we're using it the normal way, right. I don't want to capitalize it. Um, and I also go by the like AP and Chicago rules for things mm -hmm. like Prince and King and, you know, mayor or yeah. whatever, where you only capitalize yeah. it as part of yes. their title. So if you say like the prince is in the castle, you wouldn't capitalize it. But if you say, you know, Prince William is in the castle, mm -hmm. then you capitalize Prince because yes. it's a title. Um, right. Same with president, right. et cetera. Um, and so when I got Wraith 20 oh, no. and Guild was capitalized throughout, I, I murdered it. Yep. I, I went to Rose and I said, can we please decapitalize Guild? Mm -hmm. This looks terrible. I tried to decapitalize God and Scion and uh, Neil would not let me. <laughs> um, like, because, because in, in, in my brain, once again, from other writing, if you say God, big G, or, you know, then you generally mean the Christian God. Yes. And if you say God, little g, like gods and goddesses, then you mean pantheon gods. Yes. Um, and that's always just been like a rule in my head. Mm -hmm. But I understand why Neil wanted it capitalized 
because they're all big G gods in this setting. Right. But it was a hassle to me. Is deity capitalized as well? I don't believe so. No, no. no. just just gods and goddesses. Mm, okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yes, your second it, point. I... <laughs> uh, my my second point. Uh, so my second point is a personal one. It's a personal mistake and something that I strongly advise people to not repeat. And it's interesting. Uh, one of our friends and colleagues, uh, who I've not asked whether we can name them, so I won't recently had to step away from a book and told the developer that they were going to do so, that uh, they weren't up to writing something right now. And as far mm. as I know, that was all fine and done. But the writer felt dreadful for walking away from a project. Sure. Now, the worst thing to do, far worse than that, uh, because that isn't a bad thing to do at all. It's good. It's good to keep your developer informed is what's referred to as ghosting or just yeah. dropping off the face of the map, if you prefer, uh, where you stop responding to emails, where you don't check in, where you don't hit your deadline and then don't provide an update as to why, that kind of thing. Now, while I have never been in a position where someone has had to chase me repeatedly to find out where are you, you know, wh where's the work you promised us, there has been a project... Uh, not on its path, where I took a considerable amount of time to get it finished. And while I felt like I had valid excuses for why that was, I definitely didn't provide realistic expectations to my client, the company. Uh, I didn't keep them updated as to my progress. And all in all, it led to me feeling dreadful because I had put this massive weight on myself to get it done in a very short space of time right. as a result of, uh, of putting it off for so long. And I can't imagine I endeared myself to the company terribly well because they had to wait so damn long for my work. Mm -hmm. Now, as I say, plenty of excuses for that. But the one of the best piece of, pieces of advice I can give any writer at any stage in their professional career as a writer it is never, ever a bad thing to walk away from an assignment. And that may sound yeah. completely stupid to say that because there's so much competition in this industry. But just updating your developer to say, I'm not going to be able to hit this. There's too many things going on right now. There's a damn pandemic on. Would you mind if I stepped off and this got reassigned? The developer isn't going to say, no, you've got to do it. They will either say let's talk through how we can get it done. Or right. they will say, thank you very much for letting me know. I will re reassign it. But it's going to be incredibly rare for you to find a developer that holds it against you, that you've got real life uh, interfering with your work. And it's one of those weird things where when you're self-employed, uh, so uh, as most of us are, we take the entire responsibility for things like illness, uh, the need to take a break or a holiday, uh, the, basically the need to do anything but working seven days a week, ridiculous numbers of hours a day, entirely mm -hmm. on ourselves. Yep. Because we don't have someone prescribing us time off. We don't have someone paying us to take time off uh, as, you know, as sickness. So... Um, you end up ghosting people because you're too afraid to potentially lose work, but you're more likely to lose work in the future if you ghost people. 
so yeah, it's uh, rather convoluted, but in short, just keep your developer updated at all times. They will understand more often than not. I, I 100% agree with that. In fact, um, uh, uh, again, the kind of I can't talk about the projects, but I can talk about my, my relationship with them. Uh, there was one project I signed up for, um, and then right, I thought it would be wrapped up around the time COVID hit, and then it's kept, it just kept getting longer and longer and longer. Um, and finally, I had to say, I, I just can't finish this. Um, I, I, I've done everything I believe I can do, uh, and I gave them 30 days to kind of wrap up any lingering obligations. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, we, we, we parted ways. Um, and then compounds with the fact that it turns out I had been accidentally charging more than we agreed to. Uh, so it was a second error I had to kind of own up to. And, and we got, again, we also got that resolved um, by just owning the fact of like, oh man, no, yep, that was on me. And I was like, no, 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 this is totally wrong. I, I'm completely right. And then I did the research and like, nope, I, I made those mistakes. Um, and so I just owned them. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's like, I know that I can't do the work you're asking of me. So it's better that right. I get off this project so you can hire someone who can. Um, I spent that time getting somebody else transitioned onto that project. And there was a second project at the same time uh, that I just finally turned in four months behind my goal. Um, and that's that's a massively late project. But uh, I was like, so here's what's going on. I'll understand if you need me to step off the project. And if I had done that, I would have been having to return a large amount of money that had been paid to me already. Uh, but I was like, Mm-hmm. I can't do this. Um, and but it's, it's the other thing Matthew says like we talked through how I can get through that and, and how I could approach that. Um, and they were extremely uh, understanding and, and very, very tolerant of, of how late I was in that project. Uh, and um, a couple of times like, hey, how's everything going? And each time I'll be like, let me show you my progress. Um, and no one in fact they probably weren't going to look at it, but just to say, here are files I can hand over right now to show you that I have been working on it. It's just been four months of, of, of utter chaos. And they're like, you know what? We appreciate you showing on it. Just keep working on it. You know, when can you reasonably estimate to be done? I gave an estimate. I, I managed to hit that final estimate. And so I turned it over in. But I mean, yeah, like Matthew said, communication is key. But you will, if you don't own your mistakes, you will almost never get to a satisfaction of the resolution. If you're willing to own mistakes, you have a better chance of that. That being said, you know, I think one caveat to this is don't try to own mistakes that aren't yours. Um, if it's something you genuinely feel you did correctly, and if you could back that up, you know, feel free to politely push back and say, hey, you know, I, I know she said that this was done in error. In fact, I think I did this correctly. Here's what I'm working from. Do I have a misunderstanding that maybe there's a nuance here that I'm missing? Um, but I don't think I actually did the thing that I'm accused of, of doing incorrectly. So, I mean, there's that piece of it, but if if it has been, no, nah, I just break this. Um, just be like, nope, that was on me. Let me let me. How can we talk about how can we get this fixed and how can we move forward? Uh, uh, understanding the mistake as a moment in time rather than something that's constantly hanging over your head will be valuable. But if you ghost, you can never have that conversation. You can never get to a resolution. You can never get to a path forward because the developers is like, so where is it? What, yeah. What's going on? Um, so I think it's a good thing to kind of, of wrap things up on is that, you know, if you make a mistake, just have a conversation and, and try to focus less on who did what, where, and focus more on what's the next step. How do we, how do we fix it? How do we solve it? How do we get to the next stage? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I, 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 I've got one more piece of advice. Actually, no, no, go ahead. If I may. Absolutely. No, by all means. No, no. Okay. Screw you it. Not. Uh, all you prospective writers <laughs> out there, you know where to find me. Uh, <laughs> 
but but I'm not I'm not going to tell you though because uh, Dixie said no. <laughs> um, no, and it's a very simple one. It's something we've mentioned before, but for the love of God, I'm going to mention it again. Um, sometimes we will send red lines to writers, and I've certainly received red lines that can be quite. I guess bloody is the term that is often bandied around because of the amount of red on a page. In other words, sometimes you need to do a thorough rewrite to match the spec, I guess. And sometimes that spec is decided on the move. Uh, Mm -hmm. The developer may only come to the decision of what is needed from this book during red lines. And that's not ideal for the writers, but sometimes that is a, a part of creative i guess now if you find that your work has been really chopped up you've been told to make a lot of changes and so on what you could do is go away seethe about it feel bitter that you've now got to spend even more time working on it think Mm -hmm. i'm never going to work with this person again Uh, or maybe even i'm a terrible writer look at the amount of work i've got to do i should never write again Mm -hmm. or what you can do is talk with your developer as an extension of what we were talking about with ghosting, and in fact with your other writers, but not in a, a dare I say it, moany way, in a asking questions way. Right. Uh, I would strongly suggest that if you ever get red lines that are deep and thorough and you feel bad about them, please speak to one of your peers or especially to your developer mm-hmm. about it, because they will explain it to you. And sure. They should explain it to you accurately. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So developers aren't perfect, right. obviously. We're not all perfect writers. Some of us are better at managing projects than we are at writing. So mm-hmm. sometimes we will be able to spot things in your work that we wouldn't be able to spot in ours. And that also comes down to the way they give their feedback. Sometimes feedback isn't given out in the most constructive and positive way, and that's unpleasant for the recipient. I know, I've been on the recipient of that, on the receipt of that, I should say, um, recently. Mm-hmm. But and I mean, I've I've gotten feedback that just came off that way a little bit, even though it wasn't. I don't think intended right. that yep. way. But there were you know, pieces of feedback where I was like, this seems a little condescending to mm. me or like a little harsh. And I don't know the person that well. So I'll talk to you know one of my peers about it once yeah. again. So, yeah. yeah. So if you just speak to somebody about it, ideally the developer, you can hopefully get to the bottom of what they mean. If there really is a serious problem or if it's something you can work on together and just get clarity on it's communication is the best tool any of us have in this industry and with the dawning of google meets and every other damn way of communicating with each other there's not really an excuse not to other than fear and fear is the thing you need to get past to succeed fear is the mind killer mm-hmm. yep no. <laughs> uh, uh so one thing that is not a mistake is uh how well the scion demigod kickstarter is doing um, as of right now, it is uh, well over $100,000 after only a few Ooh. days, which is fantastic. Just very happy about that. Yeah. We've gone through a number of stretch goals already. Yeah. Um, but it is still ongoing right now. So if you want to uh, pledge to get the, the third book in the, the Scion Core set, um, definitely check it out. We're getting some actual plays together. We just, Vorpal Tales just had one recently. Um, yeah. Some other ones are coming up so you can see how the game is played. Uh, and it's definitely not just here's some more Pantheon, some powers go. Um, it, it's a whole new way of playing the game. So it's really, really exciting. 
I mean, yeah. there are also new Pantheons of Powers, don't get me wrong, but it, it, it is a way to kind of really rethink how your sign experience can go. So so definitely check it out. Back it for even a buck. You can see the previews of it um, and get a sense for yourself of whether this is a game you will like or not. But so far, uh, checking at least uh, 1,618 people seem to be into it. So pretty damn impressive indeed indeed um uh so uh with that um dixie if people wanted to talk to you about the mistakes they've made where would they find you online <laughs> they can find me at dixiecochran.com or dixie saga night on most social media and matthew i'm on matthewdawkins.com which is where they can find all the links to my social media and you can uh, find me at uh, pikestudy.com where and from there you can find all my social media accounts um you can find all of us uh um, at theonyxpath.com where we post our episodes every week. Uh, you can also find us on the Onyx Path Discord. You can find us floating around Facebook or on Twitter. Um, we're generally around and willing to chat you know, to people who are cool and want to hang out with us. Um, also, something I haven't talked about with a lot, but maybe we should talk about with is... Um, if you like this podcast uh, and if you find it on um, uh, Apple Podcasts or uh, Google Play or whatever... Um, Rate and review us. We'd really appreciate that. Um, if you think that we're doing good work, five stars would be wonderful. But, you know, how many stars do you think is fair? Four at yeah, the if, minimum. If you don't right. like it, just don't bother. Right, yeah, yeah. If, <laughs> if, you, if you don't like it, uh, rate it not at all. <laughs> also, how did you get this far in our catalog if you hate it? Like, that's all <laughs> shit. I, I, I tell you what, if you, leave a, if you leave a review, we will read it. <laughs> we will have an episode. Where if we get enough reviews, we will read through them. So make them mildly oh my gosh. amusing or insulting. Oh Even you know one-star reviews, we'll read them as well. But bear in mind, we will be mocking you. Right. Yeah. We will not be sympathetic to your viewpoint. No. Um, but also separately, um, if you like the stuff we make, um, reviews on Drive Through RPG would actually be really, really cool and helpful. Um, if there's a book that you really, really enjoyed, um, put a tossing review up there and talk about why you loved it and what you thought was cool about it. it really does help. Um, uh, so uh, even if you're like, ah, I'm not sure if I want to have my review read and mocked on the the, the podcast, um, <laughs> but say, hey, you know, I really love Chicago by Night, you know, or I really loved um, the Thunderworlds and Demigod or whatever. Doing reviews on Drive Through RPG d- does help us too. So, so also consider reviewing our products as well. Yes. But uh, check us out online. Uh, check out our products, and with that, many worlds, one pathcast.